And we're really, really glad you're here. It is Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day to everybody. I'm wearing my red, going for the classy Valentine's look. I don't think I pulled it off, but I tried. I do want to start this morning with a little bit of a lightheartedness. Since it's Valentine's Day, would you indulge me while I tell a little story? Uh, there was a, uh, a woman who was uh, taking a nap on Valentine's Day on the, in the afternoon, and she had this incredibly vivid dream that her husband bought her a beautiful diamond necklace. And it was such a real dream, she just couldn't help it. When she woke up, she just couldn't stop thinking about it. So she actually called her husband at work and said, honey, I just wanted to let you know I had this incredibly real dream, and it was so amazing how vivid it was that you bought me this beautiful diamond necklace. She said, what do you think that means? And he said, oh, you're going to find out tonight. So she was all excited, and she's getting ready. He comes home from work, and he hands her this package, and she's thrilled, and she tears it open to find a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. <laughs> don't send us hints, women. We don't get it. Tell us what you want. <laughs> Amen. Well, we are in a series, and it is called Love is a Battlefield. Turns out uh, Pat Benatar got it right all the way back in the 80s. Love is definitely a battlefield. The relationships that we have, we're talking about the tension that comes in relationships. Uh, this is not a series on marriage or dating, although those relationships apply. This is about all relationships and how there's always tension in our relationships. It's a battle to really love people biblically the way that God would have us to love each other and to love him. Last week we talked about uh, what it looks like to love God, he versus me. And uh, we found out that the, the biggest force in the world that's keeping us from loving God is ourselves and the battlefield that that is. And hopefully that challenged you last week. This week, we're gonna be addressing the battlefield of forgetting versus remembering. Forget versus remember. What it, the tension of what to do with offenses in relationships. I have a text verse for today. In fact, if you don't mind, please, if you'd stand with me again as we read God's word. This text verse is out of Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us. So this verse is for us. Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're called to forgive because God forgave us. Would you pray with me? Father, we bless you today. We thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, we are so blessed to be in your presence and to come together like this, God. And we pray that you would do your work in our hearts today, Lord. This time is all about you. We thank you today that it is your word that transforms us. God, we give ourselves to you. Let our hearts be good soil today. And let your seed produce fruit in our lives today and moving forward. We give you all the glory, Lord. You're in welcome here, Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. amen, amen. Well, before you're seated, turn to someone and say, you made the right choice today. <laughs> Referring to coming to church. I don't know about your other choices, but... So when you uh, came in, hopefully you saw a piece of paper sitting on a seat close to you. Uh, I want you to just take these sheets and uh, you can fill it out if you want or you could just kind of look at it and kind of contemplate it if you don't have a pen. Uh, I'm not gonna really take time up here to wait for everybody to fill it out, but I just want you to be thinking about this. Uh, the rank, these, the severity of each of these scenarios, two being the least, 10 being the greatest, of what you think that uh, the severity of each of these is. And I'm actually going to reference this a little later in the message, so. That's a little bit of a tease, they call it in, the, in public speaking and in marketing. Um, but we're gonna reference it in a little bit. So, so this, uh, today we're talking about forgetting versus remembering. Uh, and I, I wanna let you know today that I am not suggesting at all when we're talking about um, forgetting offenses in our relationships. I'm not talking about actually forgetting. You know, there's a difference. Forgiving doesn't necessarily mean forgetting. We forgive, we're required to forgive. So maybe a, a more appropriate term for this would be forgiving, forgive versus bitterness uh, instead of forgetting and remembering. What we're talking about when we say forget is we're talking about not remembering, not dwelling, not using those things against those people in our lives, but to walk a, live a lifestyle of forgiveness that God has called us to. Because we know today, and I know, and I want to make it very, very clear that I know in a room this size, there's people in here that have had some very, very deep hurts committed against them and to them. 
and I'm not by any means trying to uh, belittle or minimize what has happened to any of us, but I, I want to talk to you today about what it looks like to live a life of freedom. Because some of you have maybe experienced atrocities, some of you have maybe committed things that were, would be considered atrocities or done something to someone else that's hurt someone else in a way where you're able, you're struggling to even forgive yourself too. And there's freedom for that too, because not only are we required to forgive others, we're required to forgive ourselves. We hurt ourselves more than anybody hurts us typically. And see, and for most of us, we'll probably have a little bit on both sides of the coin. I know I can stand up here today and say, I've definitely hurt people and I've been hurt. And so I, I'm, I'm on both sides, you probably are too. But I can also tell you today that I stand up here a free man because of what Jesus has done in my life. And I can rejoice in that. We are not, we do not have to be prisoners of the pain that's been brought to us in our life or even the pain that we have committed in our lives today. You guys wanna be free? And I realize this message may upset some of us. Uh, this is not an easy message to bring. We talk about forgiveness and we really look at forgiveness according to God's word. In fact, depending on where you are and the depth of your relationship with God, it will determine whether or not you're able to even receive or apply the truths of God's word in your life. And I understand that. And it's very, very real. But my hope and prayer today is that you would understand and know that God loves you. That God loves you. And he, he, the reason he hates sin so much, let me just bring this home. The reason he hates sin so much is not because he's some big judge sitting on a bench with a black robe demanding that we follow his rules. That's not why he hates sin. He hates sin because he knows what it does to us. He hates sin because he knows it separates us from him. So he doesn't hate us. He hates the sin that separates us from him. And he wants to bring us back into that place where we're in, where we're dwelling in his house, in his presence. That's, what he, that's how he feels about sin. And so because of the fact that we needed forgiveness so great, so desperately, he gave his greatest gift, which was also our greatest need, which is the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. And since he gave it to us, his standard for us is that we would also give it. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples in uh, Matthew 10, he says, freely you have received, freely give. He's saying, you didn't do anything to deserve any of my blessings in your life, any of my gifts that I've given. You you've done nothing to deserve my forgiveness. And because you've done nothing, but I've still done that, and you've received it freely, now I also expect you to freely give it, to give forgiveness, to give grace, to give mercy to people in your lives. And sometimes that's easier than others. Depending on what we're going through, it can be more difficult than, than other times in life. But God, nonetheless asks us to be forgiving and to extend that. And if there's ever a time in the world that the world needs to see a church that understands forgiveness and applies it, it's now. If 2020, if, if it brought so many things down the pike where we can be caught up in a fence, it's unbelievable if you really sit and think about it. And you know, Jesus said in, in Luke 17, he said very clearly to his disciples, he said, offenses will come. He said, it is impossible that offenses are not going to come your way. It's impossible. These are the words of Jesus. He's warning us. He's saying offenses are going to come. In fact, I, I'm silly enough to think, he said this 2,000 years ago, but I think he was probably thinking about 2020 when he said it. <laughs> Guys, it's coming. Now, offenses come in 2019, 20, every year. Offenses come, but it feels like the floodgates were opened in 2020, doesn't it? There were so many opportunities to be offended, so many opportunities to be angry with other people that, that don't necessarily agree with you or aren't on the same side of the fence as you. There's all kinds of things. Uh, COVID-19 has brought out the, the best in people, but it's also brought out the worst in people. The mask mandate has brought out the best in people and it's brought out the worst in people. There's people that are offended by the fact that we're being asked to wear masks in public, and there's people that are offended by the fact that people won't wear masks in public. You got both sides of it. The political world that we went through last year and are continuing to go through, you have people that are offended by the things Donald Trump has said and those people that would support Donald Trump, they're offensive to them. There's people that are offended by the things Joe Biden has said and the people that would support Joe Biden are offensive to them. There's people that are offended because they're convinced the election was stolen. There's people that are offended and those people that are offended that the election was stolen. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And on and on and on. And I haven't even mentioned the racial unrest that is in this country that has been escalated 
And there's people, and, and, and the whole idea of dividing races is the idea of bringing offense. It's all about bringing offense and dividing us and separating us. And there's people that are offended if you don't support Black Lives Matter. And there's people that are offended if you do support Black Lives Matter. And there's, there's, there's everything in between and the whole gamut. And there's all kinds of stuff that we're being looked at on whether or not we're going to take an offense based on our stance on something. And I'm telling you, church, the world does not need a church that's bitter, angry, judgmental, that's walking around in unforgiveness. The world gets that out there. They need a church, and we're going to be a church that is about being accountable for our actions. We are accountable in how we respond to those offenses that come. We are accountable for that. And we have to take responsibility for the offenses that come our way and how we're going to respond to those offenses. God is looking for a church that's going to unite people, not divide them. A church that's going to be a, a place of reconciliation. And let me tell you, the world, like I said, the world has seen enough of the church being, acting just like the world. The world needs a church that is full of people who are transformed. Of people who have understood and live the fact that God, our God is a transforming God. Yes. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Christianity is not some health, self-help program that helps us to live through life and make life a little more palatable. Christianity is about a God that transforms our lives. That when we give our lives to him, it's not just about getting a free ticket out of hell. It is about living a transformed life. And it is about being able to forgive. It is about being full of grace and mercy and compassion and looking at every situation that comes our way and not being judgmental about it, even though we may think we're right, but to be able to be full of grace and mercy. That's what the world needs. And that, that, talking about those things, we're not even talking about our relationships. Our relationships are the things that hit us in the face every day where we have to choose how we're going to respond to those offenses that come our way. And we have to respond the same way in those. God is, he is looking for people who are going to act like forgiven people. Are we going to act like people that are really forgiven and really understand what that means? Because I heard Bruce Hebel say it one day and I thought it was wonderful. He said, forgiven people, forgive people. That's what we do. We forget. That's just, that's who we are. It's not, it's not something we have to figure out. It's just who we are. And we cannot afford to miss this church. We're living in an era where the world is looking for a church that is living the life that the word of God shows that we're supposed to live and that we're actually changed by it. We're not just adhering to a list of rules. We're changed by who he is and what he's done in our lives. That's what the world needs. And that's what we need. It's for our own good too. It's for our own blessing. It's for our own peace. It's for our own sanity in our life. The world needs it desperately from each and every one of us. And here's the thing. Jesus says, when he says that offenses will come, he's, he goes on to say that woe to those who bring those offenses, basically. It's better for them if they had a millstone tied around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. So Jesus is going to deal with the people that are bringing the offenses. Okay? We don't have to worry about making sure we deal with them or that we put them in their place or make sure that they're right. Uh, this is a lot of people in the church don't get this like we think we have to we have to stand up for stuff and we got to be vocal and boisterous and do these things and i'm not saying there's not a time to stand up and we, we need to know what we believe but we don't have to worry about making sure it's our job to make sure that those people that bring those those offenses are dealt with yeah, right. jesus says he's going to take care of those stumbling blocks he's going we have, are responsible for how we respond yeah. to the offenses that are going to come in our life because as much as forgiven people forgive people Hurt people hurt people. So we can't miss this. We can't afford to miss this because if hurt people are hurting people, that means hurt people are hurting the kingdom of God. And we're not about hurting the kingdom of God. We're about building the kingdom of God. We're about building his kingdom. We are about glorifying him. We are, about, we are, we are Christians before we are anything. We are Christians before we are loyal to a political party, to an ideology. We are Christians before we are a race. We are Christians before we are a gender. We are followers of Jesus first. Yes. And we are raising the banner of Jesus yes. above this church. Yes. And this is who we are. We are followers of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean there's issues that are, that are around, but we are accountable for how we respond to those offenses that are gonna come to us. And I'm telling you guys, the world's watching. Yes. The world's watching. They want to see how a church is going to respond to all this unrest that's been going on. And, it's, and we cannot miss this. Society doesn't need 
more churches, more people, more Christians that say one thing but do another. And for that reason, it's so important for us that we live lives where we are almost unoffendable. I want to live a life where I am unoffendable. I'm trying hard to live in such a way that when offenses come, and I'm not saying I don't get offended, but I don't stay offended. Something might come and upset me and, and hurt my feelings and make me upset, but it doesn't stick because I'm determined I'm going to live a life where I'm un, un, unoffendable, where those things, where I just live a lifestyle where when they come, I know I'm going to be held in account for how I respond to it. So I'm going to respond in such a way that's going to honor my God because I don't want anything to stick to me. And that's how we should be living, as people that are unoffendable and working towards that. But we also know that the battlefield is real. The tension is real. The relationship tension is real. I wanna spend the rest of my time talking about relationships and how forgiveness in relationships is a challenge. And I wanna give you a few, just a few things that I feel like will challenge you and encourage you today. The tensions that we deal with, and the first one is, Fair versus unfair. This is a battlefield for us. How many times have you heard yourself say, it's just not fair? Or maybe you don't say it out loud because you're, uh, you're too worried about putting up the right facade, but we think it, right? Or you said like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to forgive so-and-so for what they did, but they'd never asked my forgiveness. They'd never said they're sorry. So if I forgive them, then I'm letting them get away with it. And that's just not fair. It's just not fair. And we get consumed with fairness. You know, which in reality is about justice. We want justice. We are very justice-oriented people. We want justice for other people, but we want mercy for ourselves, right? If you get, uh, if you get pulled over by the cops on Columbia Road for doing 70, you want that cop to know your heart. I don't normally drive like this. I'm late for a meeting. My son's at school waiting for me. He's scared. I need you to know my heart. Give me mercy, cop. Give me mercy. But man, if you're going down Columbia Road, some dude blows by you doing 70, and you come up on him later and a cop pulled him over, you're driving by going, yeah, justice is served. <laughs> right? Yeah. Want well, justice for them. Because that, that guy's just a young punk who doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. I have a good heart. Yeah. So I want you to look at my heart, but I want you to look at their actions. Yeah. So we want the mercy, but we want justice displayed for everybody else. And the interesting thing is, you know, it's not fair what Jesus had to go through for us. It's not, if you want fairness, if you want justice from God, well, you don't. I can just tell you. You don't want fairness or justice from God. It's not fair that Jesus had to die a gruesome death for our sins. It's not fair that our sins aren't counted against us. It's not fair that we've been redeemed and brought back into fellowship and relationship with our God because of what he did for us. None of that was fair. That was his mercy. That was his grace. That was his incredible love for us that caused him to do what he did for us so that we could know him and be in relationship with him. But yet, we'll receive that, but yet in life, we want justice. Now, please don't take me wrong. I'm not saying there's no place for justice. Okay, in our criminal system, justice is a good thing. I'm talking about in our relationship, we're talking about offenses, okay? Obviously, justice is a good thing. When that person that has offended you and has done something to hurt you and they come to you and they humble themselves, they ask your forgiveness, they say they're sorry, that's a beautiful thing. But that doesn't always happen. We both know that. In fact, most of the time, it doesn't happen. Saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me, is one of the hardest things a human being will say to another person. So there's lots of times it does not happen. There's lots of times people don't care, which makes it even worse. So are we gonna be worried about what's fair or are we going to be worried about what's unfair? Are we going to be worried about justice? Or are we going to be worried about mercy? And see, it takes a level of depth of our faith to even really be able to grasp this. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. There's a lot of Christians that will never, ever grasp this or, or, or even make it a priority in their life to really understand what it means to receive the mercy of God and to also extend that mercy. Freely given, freely received, freely given. That We'll never understand that. It's the, it's the difference between being deep and being shallow. And I'm telling you today, God is calling us to depth. He is calling us to deep because deep is where God is. Being out in the middle of the ocean, that's where God is because you know what? When you're out in the middle of the ocean, you can't be self-sufficient. You need some help. You need an anchor. You need a boat. You need something that's going to help you stay afloat. The waves are bigger out there in the deep. 
The anxiety level can be bigger out there. There's more things that can cause you issues in your life out in the deep. So we want to stay in the shallow. We want to stay in the kiddie pool. We want to be a grown adults sitting in the kiddie pool, splashing water on ourselves, thinking we're really doing something. When in reality, the kiddie pool, yeah, it's safe. We don't need any help. I don't need anybody to help me if I'm in a kiddie pool. I'm good. You know, I, couldn't, I don't think I could drown if I wanted to. I'm safe. But you know what? I'm also confined too. There's parameters around me that I can't get past. The freedom that we really want to live is out in the deep. The freedom is in the deep. But man, it's, it's so much easier just to stay out in the shallow and kind of play in the sand and be safe. But God's saying, if you really want to live in the freedom that I have for you, if you want to live in freedom in relationships, freedom from bitterness, freedom from resentment, freedom from the, the bondage that comes from all of those things, you got to be out here in the deep. You have to be. We need to have the attitude that the apostle Paul had. In fact, he, his first letter to the church in Corinth was a rebuke to that church. And one of the things he was rebuking them about was the fact that they were suing each other. They'd become very litigious. They were suing all, all the time for, for ridiculous things. In the church, this is in the church. And so in uh, chapter six of 1 Corinthians, he says this, he says, one brother goes to law against another and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been defeated already. He's basically saying you're shallow. You're more concerned about yourself than the kingdom of God. So you're defeated. He says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Now it takes a level of depth of faith to even understand this verse. Like, because many would look at this and say, man, there's no way, that doesn't make sense. Why would I let so-and-so get away with this or that? Why would I even let, they need to be held to account. And Paul's saying, the fact that you are suing each other tells him that you've been defeated. You are a defeated person because of your attitude towards others and towards believers in the church. He's saying, we're just being shallow. We're just concerned with ourselves. We're consumed with our own needs. We're consumed with what we think is fair, what we should be able to have. He's saying, you're already defeated. He's saying, get out into the deep and get out of the shallow waters. It's the only place to really experience the freedom God has for us. The second one is action versus apathy. This is a tension when it comes to our relationships and forgiveness in our relationships. There's, a, there's a, a draw for us to be apathetic about those people that have hurt us and that have never really reconciled with us to just think, oh, you know what? Time heals our wounds. Time heals all wounds. Well, you and I both know that's a lie. Time doesn't heal it. Time causes it to get infected and get sore and become something that can fester and even get worse over time. We know that because if you just don't, if you don't deal with it, you just think it's just gonna get better because of time, we know that that's not exactly, that's not true. And an apathetic attitude towards our relationships is very, very dangerous. We have to be intentional. We have to be determined that we're gonna take action to take the right posture of forgiveness that God would call us to do in our life. Because see, the apathetic approach where we, we just kind of don't do anything about it, it can become what I've called a, a toxic comfort zone. Like we become comfortable in our mess, in our toxicity. We, we put up walls, we make sure it'll never happen to us again. You know, the way that person hurt me, it's not gonna happen twice. First time, shame on you, second time, shame on me. I'm putting up walls and making sure that can't happen again. And I'm hurt, and if anybody touches that wound, it, it, it hurts badly, it bruises, it's, it's festering, it's oozing. But I've set up this comfort zone for myself where at least I know what to expect now. At least I'm keeping everybody else at bay and I know that I've put up these walls to protect myself. And it becomes this comfort zone of ours where we're miserable, but at least we are safe. And that's a horrible, horrible place for us to be. And, we, and most of us have done that at some point or another. But God's desire for us is that we would be free from that. Forgiveness requires us being intentional and doing our part. This is, a, this is the, a matter of the difference between our will and our emotions. Because you see, the, the biggest problem for us as Christians walking in forgiveness isn't necessarily that we don't want to do it. It's that we don't know how to do it because we want our, our emotions to follow whatever decision we make, right? And we want, 
we want, if we decide we're going to let that person go, like I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask the Lord to forgive, to release me of all that hurt. I'm just going to release this person. I'm going to let them go. And I'm not going to pray that God would, you know, get them. And I'm just going to walk in freedom and we want to immediately make all the hurt just melt away. We want this miraculous moment at the altar with God. Now he does that. I believe wholeheartedly. He's a miracle working God. I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it plenty. But you know what I've seen him do more is make us walk it out. And, you know, we want to think, well, you know, if I, if I really commit to it, God's going to deliver me miraculously or at the most, maybe a couple weeks. But come on, it can't take longer than that, God. And then he, we still don't feel better after a few weeks. We start to get frustrated, right? Church, sometimes it takes, it could take years of being intentional, of taking action, of making sure that we're standing and taking a posture of forgiveness. I've had people in my life, it's taken me years to really have my emotions follow my will to complete, to completeness, to come to where I can honestly say I have nothing that I'm harboring. And it could take, it could take years depending on the amount of pain, the amount of hurt that's been put in there. And we have to be in it for the long haul. We need to take the, have the mindset and the posture of these three young Jewish men out of the book of Daniel that most of you know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember them? So they were, the Jews were captured by the Babylonians, taken into captivity. And King Nebuchadnezzar was ruling the day and he really loved himself a lot. So he built a 90 foot gold statue. And he said, everybody's got to worship this statue when the music plays. And if they don't, they're getting thrown into a fiery furnace, right? You heard this story in Sunday school. You got these three young men that refused to bow because they feared God. And they're brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was furious and wanted to know why they weren't going to do this. And he said, you know, if you don't do this, you're going in the furnace. Look at their response. In Daniel 3, verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. That's their faith. They're standing in faith for a miracle. You talk about a miracle. That's what they were believing for. But watch this. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Even if he does not. Church, sometimes we get so caught up in that first part. The God we serve is able to deliver us. He's going to do a miracle. We get so caught up in the miracle. We get so caught up in the immediate move of God, the immediate healing. And frankly, sometimes it's because we just really believe God's that great. Sometimes it's because we just don't want to do the work. And so I need you to do this because putting in the work to forgive somebody, I just, I'm not, I don't have, so I need you to just make it all melt off of me, all melt off. When in reality, sometimes it takes a lot of hard work on our part to really learn to live with a posture of forgiveness in our life. But we need to have the same mindset as that of these three young men, that no matter what, we believe God, they believe God, you know, them saying, even if he doesn't, that wasn't a, that wasn't a seed of doubt in their heart. That was them being completely and utterly submitted to their God. They're completely surrendered to whatever God wants. They weren't presuming to know God's will. What if it would have glorified God more for them to die? It could have, we don't know. God's been glorified through a lot of people's deaths. So they don't know, they weren't presuming to know God's will. So they had faith for it, but they were completely surrendered to him. And oh church, that we would have that mindset when it comes to forgiveness in our life. That God, I need you to, I need you to help me. I believe you're a miracle working God. I can believe you can heal me instantaneously. But God, even if you don't, I will not bow down to the gods of bitterness. I will not bow down to the gods of hatred. I will not bow down to the God of unforgiveness. I will not bow down to those gods. I will serve you and you alone. And I will trust you as, and that you will help me walk this out in my life. That's God's heart for all of us. And he will meet us in that place. He will meet us there, church. But we have to be willing to go to the deep places with him to understand his heart in the midst of this. You know, we, we, get, we get angry with God sometimes because he doesn't do what we want him to do. And man, I just think, how arrogant is that of us as his followers to get angry with him 
How entitled are we to think that God has to do what we want him to do or else we're going to be mad at him? It, it just tells us that we don't really have an understanding of who he is. That we don't understand how great he is, how high above us he is, how great his thoughts are, how high his thoughts are compared to us. We don't have an understanding of it. And we never will until we're with him face to face. But to at least have a recognition of the fact that he really is that much greater, that much higher, that much better than me. And he's forgiven me of so much. He has done so much for me to make a way for me, for me to get angry with him because he's not doing something the way I think he should do it is a posture that we don't need to be having as followers of Jesus. And we've probably all been there where we've struggled at times with being angry with God because something didn't go right. But God help us not to stay in that place because it really tells, it tells us and it shows God where we are in our depth of relationship with him. And he wants us to be in those deep, deep places and wants us to take that posture of forgiveness. You know, I talked last week about having a posture of obedience and a posture of holiness. When we take that posture, it doesn't mean we have everything perfect. We don't have it all figured out. It just means that we're always going to be looking for opportunities to forgive, always looking to, to make sure that our heart and our mind is lined up with his word and not on society. We don't let society determine how we forgive or when we should forgive. We don't let society determine that. We let God's word determine that. And we let his relationship with us and what he's done for us determine that. And that we would get to that place where, where there's just no other option but for me to forgive because I just know what he has done for me. I have, there's nothing else I can even do. There's nothing else for me to even do. That, you know, in, um, in John 6, when Jesus is talking to a big group of his disciples, at this point he had a lot of disciples and he's given some hard words about what it's gonna be like to follow him. Some hard words. Uh, he wasn't sugarcoating, he was saying what it was gonna be like and it was very difficult for these guys to hear. And it says, it, towards the end of chapter six, it says that many of his disciples deserted him that day and did not come back. We don't, we don't preach about this one a whole lot, but that's exactly what happened. The word was too hard for them to even receive it, so they walked away. And it says that Jesus looked at his 12 at that point, and he said, hey, do you guys wanna go too? And look what Peter said in, in verse 68. Simon Peter told him, he said, Lord, where would we go? Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. That, oh, that we would have that, that mindset with forgiveness. God, what else can I do but forgive? I, I have nothing else to do after what you've done for me. You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of freedom. You have the words of forgiveness. Where else would I even go? I don't have any other option. I don't want to do it. Guys, there's days that we don't want to forgive. There's days we just want to hold on to our anger. We want to hold on to our bitterness. We want to watch that person's social media, hoping something bad happens to them. There's days that's what we want, but we have to look at ourselves and say, where else would I go? What else can I do but to forgive? I have no other option. I have no other option. But it takes an understanding of what he's done for us, which brings me to my third and final point. The tension of freedom versus bondage. You know, when we set people free, when we forgive them whether they deserve it or not, it sets us free. That's right. Amen. But when we don't set them free, it doesn't put them in bondage, it puts us in bondage. Right. Not only does it put us in bondage, it removes the covering of God on our lives when we willfully withhold forgiveness. Now, this is a difficult word, and I'm even hesitant to bring it because... I'm like anybody else, I want you guys to come in here and feel good about everything and I want you to leave feeling good. But I want more than that to speak truth. Yes. Amen. I feel like the most loving thing I can do is speak truth. Yes. Because call me naive, but I genuinely believe that it is the truth that sets us free. Yes. It's, not, it's not denying things. It's not turning a blind eye to his word. It's actually applying his truth in our life. So Jesus gives us this parable in Matthew 18 of the unmerciful servant. Many of you probably know the story. I'll kind of sum it up for a minute. So he says that the kingdom of God is like this. He says a, a master calls a servant into his, into his presence and he says, hey, you owe me money. The debt is, it's time for the debt to be paid. I need you to pay it. And it's estimated it was billions and billions and billions of dollars if you, if you translate it to today's standards. An insurmountable debt, let's put it that way. 10 lifetimes he couldn't have paid it off. 
He says, it's due, I need it. And the servant gets down on his knees and begs him for mercy. He says, please, please, just give me some more time and I'll figure out a way to pay it, which you couldn't, and the master knew it. So the Bible says the master had mercy on him and he forgave the debt, okay? Forgave it completely, set him free, said, you don't owe me a dime, go away, God bless you. This servant was so uh, grateful for what happened to him, I say that sarcastically, because he goes to another servant of his that owed him a couple hundred bucks and starts wringing his neck saying, give me my money. And the other servant says, well, I don't have it, but please, please have mercy on me. I'll get it for you somehow. It says the same thing that he had said to the master. But this servant wasn't so merciful. He said, nope, too bad, had him thrown in jail. Which, by the way, was his legal right to do because the debt was real, the debt was owed. So he had the right to put him in prison, and that's what he did. So the other servants find out about it, and they're very distraught because they knew what happened to the first servant. So they go back to the master, and they said, told him what happened. So we see what happens then in Matthew 18, verse 32. It says, the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all. Now watch this. This is where it gets hairy. This is how. Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's a hard word. That's a hard, hard word. It's like, are you, tell, are you seriously telling me that I have to forgive or else God's going to turn me over to the torturers, to the tormentors, one version says? That's exactly what this is saying. He is showing his heart and his standard for forgiveness. And he's also showing us the consequences of not forgiving. He's making it very clear here. What he is saying here is that you have been forgiven such an insurmountable debt that you could have never paid in a million lifetimes, the debt of your sin. And when I've canceled that debt for you, and then you don't cancel the debts of those that are in relationship with you or in your life that are going to be much less in the grand scheme of what he forgave us of, and you don't forgive them, he says, I cannot turn a blind eye to that. God cannot set us free just because he feels sorry for us. He can't do it. He has a standard that he has set for each and every one of us that he requires that we live by. And so he actually removes his covering from us and allows us to be put into the hands of the torturer, the tormentor. Some of us are tormented today because we refuse to forgive. Now, this is not, if you're walking out forgiveness and you're struggling with it, but you're really, you're working towards it, this is not what he's talking about here. This is a willful, I will not forgive you. I'm putting you in my emotional prison and you're going to stay there because I don't like you. God's saying you can't do that. He's saying you can't do that. And, and he's basically saying you're turned over. But here's the thing. You know how you get set free from those tormentors. He says here, he said he put him in there until he should pay back what he owed. Well, that can make us think, well, wait a minute. He owed billions of dollars. He'll never be able to pay that back. He's going to be tormented forever. But that's not what he owed. Because if you remember, the, the master canceled that debt. Once a debt's canceled, it can't be uncanceled. It was completely freed of that debt. What he owed was forgiveness to the other guy. So he's saying, until you extend the forgiveness that I gave you, I can't do anything for you. You've lost my protection. You've lost my covering. And guys, I, I'm... I know this is a hard word, but I also know that it's true. And I know that when, when I first got a revelation of this, it set me free. It set me free because I realized some of the problems I was having in my own life, some of the issues I was dealing with in my own life was because of a lack of forgiveness. I knew it. I knew it right away. It was, it was revelatory for me and it changed my life. So this is actually a beautiful thing for each and every one of us to understand. So I, I gave you those handouts. And I want you to grab one if you have one and just look at it. And what we put on there was 10 things. And I, I would assume if you did it or even if you didn't, if you look at it, you'd probably think that a, a couple of these are twos, a couple are fours, a couple sixes, eights, and probably even a couple tens, right? And what, why I did this is because I wanted us to see our hearts and, and to help us understand that we absolutely wholeheartedly believe that some things are worse than others, right? And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. In the, in the natural, some things have greater consequences than others. 
The consequences of being jealous towards a coworker's promotion are not the same as the consequences of having a mass murder at an elementary school, right? So what we tend to do is we tend to categorize sins in life. And what we as humans tend to do, the human race, we tend to forgive to the level that we feel like we've been forgiven. And if I feel like that's something I could struggle with, I'm gonna have a lot more grace for you than if it's something I won't, don't understand or can't understand how you got there. I can understand lying to your boss, but I don't, I don't understand cheating on your spouse. So it's gonna be harder for me to have a lot of grace for you just in the natural if you cheated on your spouse because I've never done that and I don't really understand even how you get there because it doesn't make sense, right? And so we're gonna forgive to the level that we have been forgiven. It's very similar to the fact of how we can be empathetic towards someone that is going through something if we've gone through it too. You're much more empathetic, you're much more sympathetic too to someone that is going through something that maybe you went through as well. I'll give you an example. So about 14 years ago, um, I had a, a disc in my neck that was herniated, it was, I was compressing, it was degenerative. So I guess you could say I was a degenerate. Probably still am a little bit, but I was in a lot of pain. I don't know if you ever had that, you know, and I have a high pain tolerance and I'm telling you, it was through the roof. Couldn't sleep, couldn't do anything. It was pure misery because it was pinching a nerve and it was shooting pains everywhere. And while I was waiting for the operation to put in a artificial disc, uh, the doctor just put me on pain medication. And let me tell you, I was popping those things like Skittles. I mean, every time I was allowed to do it, I was putting them in. I'd never, I never did drugs. I was never on any hard narcotics or anything like that. But I, I had to be on these to even survive. And in fact, I would call the doctor every couple of days like, hey, can I up my dosage? Because it's, you know, these aren't even working as well as they could. He had me on the strongest stuff that you could pretty much have while I was waiting for the surgery. And it got me through until I had my surgery. And I remember waking up from my surgery and the pain was completely gone. Completely gone. It completely fixed everything. That was 14 years ago. I've never had an issue. It's been gold ever since then. But I couldn't stop taking the pills. And a couple days went by, then a week went by, and then two weeks went by, and I'm taking enough painkillers to, to the same amount that I was taking when I was in excruciating pain. And I finally got to where I got, I got scared because I st tried one day to not take them and my body, I, I couldn't even describe it other than to say like my body was yelling at me saying, we're not going anywhere until we get some of this. And uh, so I called my doctor and I was freaking out. I said, doc, I don't know what's going on, but I'm addicted to this stuff. And he, you know, he talked me through it and he said, you know, based on how long I'd been on it, he said, he gave me kind of a program of getting off of it. You know, he said, you just need to wean yourself slowly. And I think over a matter of probably two, three weeks, I had weaned myself off. And it was difficult because even lowering the dosage, my body was really struggling, but I got off of them in a, in a couple weeks. But let me tell you, from that moment on, I have a lot of grace for people that are addicted to painkillers because I have been there to a degree or I have at least dabbled with it. And so when somebody's going through that now, man, I right away, my mind immediately goes back to that moment in my life and I'm like, yes, yes, I understand. I understand because I, I would have never dreamed that something like that could be so addictive. I'd never been addicted to anything before. And so I have a lot of grace and compassion and mercy for people that are dealing with that. But if you've done something else that could be egregious and I've never dealt with it, my grace and compassion for you in the natural is to be a little less. Like, you know, the tendency is to more like look at them and say, well, how could you do that? How could you do something like that? How could you cheat on your wife? How could you do that? Because I've never done it. But man, when someone comes to me and says, man, I'm addicted to painkillers and I think I need to go into rehab, man, I'm crying with them and I'm sad and I can't, I'm, you know, horrified for them and I'm there with them. We do the same thing with sin because we think that there are different levels of sins. When in reality, James tells us if we break one of the rules, we've broken it all. He doesn't differentiate. God does not differentiate. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking, he said that if you, he said the, the law says do not commit adultery, but he says, forget that. I'm telling you, if you lust after a woman, which every man has, you've committed adultery. He didn't say it's like committing adultery. He said, you've done it. He says, the, the, the law says do not murder. 
If you're really mad and angry at your brother, you murdered him, according to his words. So what he's saying, he's leveling the playing field. He's saying, listen, there is no differentiation when it comes to spiritually. Again, in the natural, of course there is, different consequences. But what I'm trying to get us to understand today is that we have to understand that God is so much greater than us, that, that the wages of our life is death. What we deserve is death. We are born in a sin nature. So it doesn't matter if you weren't a real, haven't been a really bad person, you don't think God has had to forgive you for a whole lot, that you know, I know nobody can get into heaven without Jesus, but if anybody could, I could, because I've been really good, and I read my Bible all the time, so I'm not that bad of a person, so I don't understand why other people over here are doing these things to hurt me, because I would never do that. We can't compare like that. God doesn't compare like that. He says, listen, you broke one rule, you broke them all. So we're all, we're all the worst of sinners. We're all the worst of sinners. In fact, the apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, probably the most righteous man on the planet at the time, literally said, I am the chief of all sinners. You know why he said that? Because the closer you get to God, the more you see your own heart. The more you see your own heart. And when you see your own heart and you see it compared to who God is, you realize, wow, there's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in me. Apart from his spirit living in me, there's nothing good in me. So God forbid that I would withhold forgiveness against anyone that's done anything to me. And I know this is a difficult word because again, it's one thing if, if you got to fight with your spouse and they said something they shouldn't have said and they say they're sorry and you forgive and it's over, that's one thing. But if something really bad has happened to you where a parent has abandoned you or you've been molested or, or even raped and, and horrible things have happened and to say, oh, I just need to forgive him because I'm a horrible sinner too, it's not that easy. But I'm telling you, when we get a revelation of what we've done to our God, we can walk it out. We can walk it out. We can forgive everybody. We can become unoffendable. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, watch this, just as in Christ God forgave you. The, the old King Version, the old King James Version says, for Christ's sake, God forgave you. He is only forgiven you because of what Jesus did. So it's not about what you've done. It's not about whether or not you're good enough. It's who you are. Without him, we are sinners. We are doomed. But he did everything to make sure that we would be in relationship with him. And it is an impossible to truly live in the freedom of forgiveness unless you have seen who you are in the light of who God is. Don't compare yourself to the other people. Don't compare yourself to people and say, well, you did that. I wouldn't do that. I might do that. I wouldn't do that. Good Lord, I'm not as bad as you. You did that. I'd never do that. We don't compare ourselves to people. We compare ourselves to God's word and to his standards. And we realize we don't measure up. We fall short. We will come up wanting every time we compare ourselves to him. And he says, but he says, I will help you. I will give you what you need to be able to forgive. He will transform us. We need to be a church of transformed people. We're transformed into his likeness every day. Praise God. He is so good. Would you stand with me, please? And I'll, I'll close. I want to pray for us. I want to read one more verse to you today. It's out of Colossians. This is the Apostle Paul again. Verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He's not telling us to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things just because that's the right thing to do. He's saying if we do that, we'll also get a revelation. We'll get a more of an understanding of who he is. We'll get a more of an understanding on what he's done for us. And it gives us, he gives us his, his, his spirit, the power, the ability to be able to forgive and to live a lifestyle of not choosing to remember everything that everyone's ever done to you, but walking in forgiveness. I want to pray for us and I just ask you to respond I think it's important that we respond to God's word and I know we're not coming to the altar still because of social distancing but just ask you to lift your hands as we pray or close your eyes bow your head kneel do something just to let just to make sure your heart is postured in the right place let's pray father we love you today 
God, we thank you for your word, that it is truth, that it is life. God, it is life for each and every one of us. And Lord, we thank you today for your forgiveness. For without it, we would all be doomed. Thank you that you didn't worry about fairness. Thank you that you weren't apathetic. And thank you that you weren't content with us being in bondage, but you paid the ultimate price. Lord, we give you our lives today. Lord, in those areas where we've held back forgiveness, Lord, would you help us to be people that forgive? Lord, we want to walk in freedom. We want to live in the deep places with you. Take us to those places, God. Stir our hearts, Lord, because, Lord, we know that we can only do it as you draw us, Lord, that we can only do it as you stir us, as, you, as we respond to you, God. It's, it's still about you working in us. Lord, would you do your work in our hearts? On this Valentine's Day, Lord, would your love penetrate? God, would it break down the walls that we have put up around us? God, would you make the hard places soft? Make us more like you, Jesus. Make us more like you, Jesus. We want to be like you, Lord. Lord, we know that offenses will come. You promised us that. But God, we want to be accountable for how we respond to those offenses. It's nobody else's fault how we respond. And we want to be a church, Lord, of people that are transformed. That when the world sees us, they will say, yes, something is different. Those people are different. God, we want to be those people because we want to build your kingdom. We want to honor you, God. Let us be your vessels to bring your kingdom on earth. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We glorify your holy name, Lord. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise, Jesus. You are worthy of our life. God, forgive us for where we have withheld forgiveness. Forgive us, Lord. We repent. We repent, Lord. We turn away from the bitterness. We turn away from holding on to those hurts, God. And we give it to you, Jesus. Come fill our hearts with your love. Help us to desire mercy for those that have hurt us and not just justice. We want to walk in mercy, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. And we respond in kind with your help, Jesus. We love you and we worship you. We honor you, God. We honor you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Can we uh, worship Jesus today for just a moment? Clap or just tell him what you think of him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Good God. You're a good God. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah.